0: and basically saying, you can't go there. And when I began to realize these several years ago, really a year ago, it really began to strike me. I realizing I'm allowing the devil to control my life in certain areas, which means God's not in control in those areas. So I, I determined, I repented, and determined to uh, seek God for the, for the guidance and the leadership from, through the Holy Spirit to begin to face those strongholds and tear them down. And it was wonderful because Brother Christopher Alam talked about those in a little different context on Sunday. And as I've been going through this journey, uh, I, it's, it's it, a story from the Old Testament just keeps coming to me because it really brings home clearly uh, what, what God is doing in my life and what I believe God wants to do in your life, those of you watching online and those of you that are here tonight. And the story is based around the Exodus when God people who have been in bondage for 430 years. They've been in bondage. They don't have time tonight to go into how they got in there. But they overstayed their need to be there. And as a result, by, by giving in to the pressures that were around them, they submitted themselves to this bondage of, the, of Pharaoh and of the, the armies and the leaders of, of Egypt. There's a lesson in that, because in the beginning of the book of Exodus, it says Israel were more and mightier, than the Egyptians, and yet they were in bondage. They were in slavery to them. How did that happen? Because they submitted to that slavery. And they sat there for over 400 years, and finally when they cried out to God to be delivered, God was ready for them. He already had a deliverer selected, trained, and prepared, and called to be their deliverer. And that's reassuring to me, because when God begins to deal with us in areas of our life, that he wants to deliver us to set us free from things that have been built into our lives, or maybe we've been built into them, or maybe others have done it for us. When we begin to really wake up and say, I don't want to do this anymore, I want to get out, isn't it nice to know God already has a deliverer? He's already prepared the way out. He's just been waiting for us to say, I'm ready to go. I'm not satisfied of staying where I am. So the story of the Exodus, which is in Exodus, of course, is, is about this process and it applies to us today, because what they were doing is he was bringing them out of the bondage of Egypt. Egypt, in the Bible represents the world's way of doing things. Egypt was a, a, a culture and a society that was well beyond any other, at least in the Western world at the time. They had the best scientists, they had the better still. From what I understand, our scientists are trying to figure out how they did certain things. They had the most advanced medicine, but it was all man, all done by man's effort, by man's mind. And it did not represent the work of God and, the, and give honor and glory to God. But this is what this generation was raised in, and they were they were used to slavery. They were used to being in bondage. They were used to being told what to do. And as and as, as, as challenging and, and as, a, as repulsive as the idea of being enslaved to somebody is, there's a certain protection that goes with it. There's a certain security that goes with being enslaved to somebody. They've done studies of people that have come out of prison, that have been in prison a long time, and very often they end up back in prison pretty quickly because they don't have a function in the outside world because their decisions have been made for them, their meals have been provided for them, and they don't have to have responsibility for their lives. So there's a certain attractiveness to being in bondage, but it's still bondage. And it's not, it's not honoring God, it's not carrying out God's will, and it ultimately destroys us. So this was the people that God brought out. And we don't have time tonight to go through the dramatic miracles that God did that, that, to, to get them delivered. But what we're going to pick up on the story is Pharaoh's The last plague was the destruction of the firstborn. And through the Passover meal, the Israelites that participated in that were spared that judgment. And Pharaoh kicks them out of Egypt and they wander, and we're going to pick up with this story. Now, as we go through the story, re- understand what these things reckon. Egypt represents the world, the world's way of doing things, and the bondages of the world. God's called them to go to a, prom- a land that he's promised them called the Promised Land. God's already told them before when, in prophecies that we, when God spoke to Abraham, God told them what was going to happen. And now they're in this process of going out from the bondage of the world to a land that God has prepared for them. Now some teachers teach that the promised land represents heaven, but I don't believe it does, because what we'll see is in this promised land there are enemies and obstacles and challenges, and I don't believe there are challenges and obstacles in heaven, but there are in this world. So the promised land represents what God has ordained and called for them to to get, first of all, for them to be free and to prosper, but also to fulfill God's call and purpose for them which is to be a witness to the world of what God is like. Israel was the promised land displaced placed in, in Palestine, which at that time was a crossroads to major trade routes from the west back to the east, which is China and very other prosperous parts of the world. And so all this trade back and forth had to go through some part of Palestine. And God's plan was for this nation to be so prosperous and so blessed that when people would come back through there, carrying riches from other parts of the world, they would see what this world, this nation was like, and they'd want to know who your king is and who your God is. So God had a purpose for them being in this promised land. God had a purpose for them for for prospering in this promised land. And, and it represents for us what God has called for us as sons and daughters of God, as the church of God, as the body of Christ in the earth, to be a witness of his goodness, his love, his grace, his glory, his majesty, and of his power. And the strongholds that have been built into our lives are to keep us from getting to that place, to be so consumed with the issues of life, so consumed with these bondages that we can find ourselves in, that we spend all of our time trying to be free, and in the process we're, never, we're not fully doing what God has called us to do. So as we go through this story, it's not just a nice story from the Old Testament. It's in there for our purposes. Paul talks in, in uh, 1 Corinthians where he talks about this story is in there for our, as an example. These stories are in there for an example to us. So the first thing we're going to learn from this is God's called them, he's delivered them out of Egypt, and we're going to, look, we're going to pick up in, in Exodus 13, verse 17. And then it came to pass that when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did lead them. Now we see before this, God begins to uh, show how He's going to lead them, especially when you get over into Numbers and and where there's uh, another version of this. And so God was physically leading them by a cloud, a cloud by night, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. So He was physically leading them where they were going. Uh, And that's another story, what that all represents to us. So God is leading them physically, on this journey, it came to pass that when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. So, if you were to look on a map of that place, the northern part, northeastern part of, of Egypt, right where it leads right over into Palestine, and it's a very short journey. Some accounts I've read it was like an eleven or fourteen day journey. And if you know the story, it took them forty years to get there. So let's see why God didn't lead them that way, although it was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. So God, there was an easier way to get them there. But God couldn't take them on that easier way because he knew them. And he knew that where there were obstacles in the way, and when they saw the obstacles, he knew they would turn back. So it's comforting to me to know that on this journey that we're all on, and I'm still in in a journey, and the journey that we're on, God knows us. He knows what we can handle. He knows knows the decisions we're likely to make. So the way he leads us is a way he knows is is designed to get us to the place he wants to get us. So he leads them. He has to lead them back into the wilderness and return to Egypt. So... So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now we're going to go over to chapter 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before, whatever the name of that is, between Migdal and the sea opposite Baal-Zephon and they shall camp there before the sea And he tells them this ahead of time. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, they're bewildered by the land and the wilderness has closed them in. So what he's saying there is that because they're going to see, Pharaoh's going to see that they didn't quickly escape out of Egypt, he's going to think they're afraid and confused. And he's going to change his mind. Verse 4, so I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. So what's at stake here is not just their deliverance. What's at stake here is God's honor. God wants to demonstrate. God wants to demonstrate who He is, because Pharaoh means not just king; it means God. Because these kings would obviously be born, live, and die, but they all had the name Pharaoh to, to imply that there was some that there was some. Uh, they were immortal, even though obviously they weren't. And so God wants to prove to, to the Egyptians that he is the true and the living God. So, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, verse 4, so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army. And the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord, and they did so. So now it was told to the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants turned against the people, and they said, why have we done this? Why have we let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots, chariot and took his people with him. This is his crack army. And he took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with the captains of every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them and all the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army overtook them, camping by the sea besides whatever that place is, before Beg, Baal, Zephon. So imagine this. You're finally free. You've seen God deliver you through these, these amazing plagues and miracles God's done. And there's great celebration as they're leaving. And they're going out, and they now know that they're going to be free and they, they they pharaoh god's turned them around to camp right in front of the sea now the sea stands between them and the place god's called them to go so the sea represents an obstacle that tells you you can't get there and now what's happening is pharaoh's changed his mind and he's beginning to barrel he's beginning to barrel down with these chariots to destroy them because they're trapped so let's kind of bring it to where where, where we get places we are we come to church we hear a wonderful message like last sunday and some other of the wonderful messages we've been hearing and we get inspired and if we get inspired enough we begin to realize that there's some strongholds in our life some areas some fears maybe it's a fear of people whatever it may be down inside that satan has worked in our lives and from which i, I have just described once and it really has helped me a stronghold is like a castle It's got walls around it. And inside, when you're outside that stronghold, you can't recognize what's in there. So Satan loves to build strongholds in our mind of who we are, of what's going to happen to us, of what we can't do, and of who he is, and build these strongholds that become so deep in us. And the term that Paul uses is a stronghold. It becomes so deep in us. But Satan then begins to work from inside those strongholds to control our lives. Demon forces can work from these strongholds of fear. This is why the one thing that the Bible admonishes us more than anything else is do not fear. I've been told, and I think it's correct, it's 365 times the Bible tells us do not fear. It doesn't suggest that we don't fear. It doesn't say fear is a bad thing. It tells us do not fear because what fear does is fear shuts your mind down, It shuts your heart down to what God wants to do and who God is and what God's capable of. And it opens your mind and your heart to what Satan wants to tell you. It gives an opening to him. But God has a plan for delivering us. So this is where they are. And they're camped there. They're probably celebrating. And and there's a sea there. They don't know how they're going to get over there. And now they begin to feel the ground rumble. And they begin to look on the horizon and they can see dust rising and they begin to realize that the enemy who just set them free has now come to torment them to destroy them i don't know about you but i've had situations where i'll get hopeful that i'm going to get free of something again maybe it's maybe it's in a service and you hear a great message of faith and it inspires you to believe god that God's here, God loves me, God's the name of Jesus is works. We'll talk about that next week. The name of Jesus is powerful. We've been given the name of Jesus. I'm going to speak to this situation and the walls of this stronghold are going to come down and you step out boldly and you may even get a little bit of a victory and the next thing you know it all collapses back in you and then you it's like Satan laughing at you saying, you thought you could be free but I still have a hold on you. That must have been what these people were feeling. You can only imagine what it was like. Satan loves to torment us. You get the euphoria of thinking, I'm going to be free. I'm finally going to overcome this. And now he looks like it's not going to happen at all. Instead, he's going to pull you back into where you thought you were getting free from. And he's going to hold, hold on to you. And that torment is almost worse than if you never tried to get out. And that's one of the things they begin to say as we go, go further. Verse 10. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes And behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were afraid. That's Satan's number one weapon. So here they're in now. They think they're getting free. Now they can see the enemy beginning to bear down on them. And the first thing that triggers in them is fear. It's so important to recognize what's going on when that first thought of fear. There's a, there's a wonderful story in Second Chronicles 20 where the same kind of thing happens. Uh, Jehoshaphat is the king of, of Judah, and he wakes up one morning to get a, a, a report that there are three armies bearing down to destroy them. And it says the very first thing that happens is he feared. So fear, fear is, a, is, is, a, is a reaction that we, we can have, but the question is what do you do with that fear? And Jehoshaphat did the right thing, because his first emotion was fear, but then he chose to seek what God had to say about it. So he turned to God, believing God had an answer for this situation. I don't know what it is, and this is part of the lesson we're going to learn tonight, but we're going to seek the Lord. So Jehoshaphat called a day of fasting and prayer, and as a result, a prophet spoke out, and God spoke to them and said, Don't worry, I've got this under control. He said, the battle's not yours, it's mine. I will fight this battle for you. And he gave them a strategy so that he could use them to fight the battle. The people of Israel didn't do that. They're panicked now. They're panicked now. And so they were afraid. So here's what they do when they're afraid. The children of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, so listen to what happens. This is how Satan torments us. They believe they're getting free." And now they can see the enemy coming to destroy them. They're being led by what they see, by what their senses tell them. And so look what they said in verse 11. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, you've taken us out away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is not the word which we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? They're the ones that cried to be free. But notice when you, get dis- when you lose your hope, when fear comes in and begins to control you, you start blaming. We start blaming God. We start blaming other people, and so so because we're we're a, because that's a that's an indication that we're in fear. So let's see what happens here. For the Egyptians, for you said the Egyptians whom you see today, you will see again no more, and the Lord will fight you for you, and you shall hold your peace. Oh, excuse me, verse verse thirteen. Moses said to the people, "Do not be afraid." Now, this, I love this. This is, the, this is the leader's advice. He has not talked to God about this. So here's the problem again. They've been set free by God. There's an obstacle in their way to, that tells them they can't get into the promised land. And they can see it. It's very real. This is not a little stream that's trickling down. This is, this is a, a big river that's called a sea. And it's what's in between them and where God's called them to go. And now the enemy's bearing down on them to destroy. So they're trapped. And what I've been running into in my life is situations where I feel trapped. I feel God's calling me to go one place and I can't get there. There's there's obstacles in the way. Whether emotional objects or physical objects or relational objects, there's something telling me I can't get there. And in some cases, they've been long-standing messages to me saying, John... You can't go there. You can't be free in that area. You can't do that. And as I begin to press towards that, I can feel the Lord calling me to step into it, and yet I don't see it moving. And then the enemy comes behind me saying, because you stepped out, I'm going to devour you. You're going to be bound by this for the rest of your life. And that's what's going on here. So Moses, their leader, he's a, he's a man of faith. They weren't, but he's a man of faith. So here's what Moses says to the people. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. So Moses is being bold, saying, you're not going to be destroyed. God didn't bring us out here to be destroyed. So let's stand here and see what God's going to do. And that's sometimes where we get in faith. I believe, as you did, Pastor Ray did a great teaching in our devotions on, on God is able, believing what God's able to do. So that's where Moses, God's able. God's called us to go out here. God would not bring us out here to be destroyed. So let's just stand still long enough to see what God's going to do. And sometimes that's where we Christians who have been around for a while know enough of the Word of God, know that we're to be not to panic and run away. So we'll stand in faith. Say, I'm going to stand here and God's going to deliver. We're going to pray and God is going to deliver us. That's what the leader said. And the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now, God spoke to Moses. Isn't it as interesting? And the Lord says to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Well, God, I mean, you've told us to pray, you've told us to cry out to you when we get in trouble. And, and and there's an obvious problem here, God, in case you haven't noticed. You've called us to go to that land over there. You've told us that you want us to be victorious over over Satan and over all the power of the enemy. You've told us you want, to, want us to be willing to go wherever you call us to go, and you will provide for us and protect us. You, you've told us that, but there's this stronghold in the way. There's this object in the way, and, 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 and we'll be a people of faith, and we'll stand here, and we'll believe you for that to get moved. But, but we don't have time to do that because the enemy's bearing down to destroy us. So Moses has cried out to God, and God's answer is, Why are you crying out to me? I thought we're supposed to pray. I thought we're supposed to cry out to God. I'm supposed to wish God, God, help us. And we are supposed to pray. But here's the difference. God's already told them what he's going to do. God's already told them where to go. Kind of like when Jesus tells the disciples to go to the other side of the, of the sea, and he's in the boat with them, and he curls up on a pillow in the back and goes to sleep. And this terrible storm stirs up. And, and, and they're panicked because they don't think... Why are they afraid? They're afraid because they don't think they're going to make it to the other side. But the last thing Jesus said to them was, let's get in the boat and let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat and let's pray and hope we're going to make it to the other side. He said, let's get in the boat and let's go to the so he could go to sleep. Sometimes in our situations in life, it may feel as if God's asleep. There's a storm raging in your life. God, what's going on here? What are you going to do? How, how come you're not giving me an answer? And, and he's a, he seems like he's a, asleep. But Jesus wasn't asleep because he didn't care. Jesus was asleep because he knew they were going to make it to the other side because he said, let's go to the other side. And there are times we get afraid. There are times we panic. The times we're crying out to God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray. But there's a time for crying out to God. There's a, then there's a time to do what he says to do. And that's what God's saying here. God's saying, why are you crying out to me about this? Tell the children of Israel to go f- forward. God, again, there's, there's a little problem here. You see, there's a sea there's in the way. But see, we have a part to play, and God has a part to play. And God will not do our part. We have to do our part. And there are many times God expects us to step out on our part before He will do His part. And here God is saying to him, Why are you crying out to me? And what's implied here is, I've already given you that land. I've already told you to go there. What is a little what is an obstacle that's in what's an obstacle to me? It's an obstacle to you. But that that sea is no obstacle to me. It's amazing how small we can see God. We get a problem in our life that may be huge to us, and we're looking because we talk about it, we think about it, we meditate on it, and this problem gets to be so big in our mind, and and, and we forget how big God is and what God can do. A pastor we had in, in Oklahoma did a great message one time on God's perspective on your problems. He says, you're looking at this huge, enormous problem, and God's looking at heaven... And from his perspective, that's nothing at all. And there are times I've gotten into frustrating situations. Uh, we have a cute little dog named Molly that most of you have heard about. And Molly's a cute little dog, but Molly can be frustrating to me at times. And, and, and I, I would get so frustrated about how to get something done with her, how to get somebody to be able to groom her and all these things, and I'd get, I would get so worked up about it. And then all of a sudden this thought would hit me, wait a minute, I have living in me, one that created the universe, that you suppose he can handle this problem. And when I begin to get his perspective on it, then I can begin to let go of it, and God begins to give me wisdom and answers. So, that's the situation they're in. God's saying, tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea, and you divide it. Kind of like when Jesus fed the 5,000, and the, the disciples came to him with the problem. They said, Master, we've been here a long time, and they've been out here for several days now, and they don't have any food, and they're either going to leave and go try to find food, or they're going to start fainting because they're, they're hungry and they're weak. And Jesus said, Well, you feed them. It's like, What? <laughs> we feed them? And he said, Well, what do you have? And so they do a survey of what they have, and they come and say to Master, it's clearly not enough, because it's just a little boy's lunch, and there's 5,000 men, let alone the women and children. And then Jesus says the key thing, he says, give it to me. And he gave what little they have to him. He blessed it, and he gave it back to them. And I believe it multiplied in their hands as they gave it out. They had to take a step. They had to act on it. And so here, here's what's going on. Lift up your rod. We'll talk about this next week the rod. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. You divide it. I don't think Moses had a lot of experience in dividing seas. I know at Ramah they didn't have a course on how to multiply food or how to divide seas. You can't do that. But God said, stretch out your hand and you divided. We'll talk about this a little bit again next week. And the children of Israel shall go forth on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will indeed harden Pharaoh's heart, the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow you, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all the army, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the Egyptians shall know. There's a number of places in the Bible where God talks about, and they will know that I am the Lord and they will know that Isaiah 43 talks about this, this story, talks about going through the rivers. He says, I am the Lord who formed you, and I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you go through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle about you. I bet the three children of Israel had that in mind when they were thrown into the fire. And they weren't, he didn't even smell of smoke. Because you're precious in my sight, I've given others for your sin. And he goes on to say, and you shall, you shall, you shall be my witnesses. You shall be, this is what the church is. You shall be my witnesses, that I am the Lord and that there is no other God but me. The church is to be his witness. And he wanted Israel to be his witness as they got into the promised land. So let's go on. And I have gained honor. Verse 19. And the angel of the Lord who went before, this is that pillar of fire, who moved around and went behind them, and the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood behind and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And thus it was a cloud of darkness to the one, and it gave light to the, by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all night. So now God has provided no protection for them, while they, because you've got probably two, three million people. We know there are 600,000 armed men, so you can extrapolate that, probably between two and four million people camped on the side of the shore, and now God's got to get them through to the other side. Okay. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into the dry land, and the waters divided. So the children went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. imagine You've seen the movie, The Ten... Some of you are probably... Most of you are old enough to have seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, where they wall it up like that. Most of these I don't really believe, but that must have been an amazing thing. (laughs) This nation has just seen... God supernaturally deliver them out of the hands of the most powerful army in the world. They come to this place, and now God tells them, I'm going to get you safely across. And, and he, he, he protects them. We'll see now they get safely. They've, I wonder what it was like to walk through seeing these walls of water on either side. And they're walking on dry land. It gets in their senses. We'll talk about that in a minute. Verse thirty verse twenty two. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the lawyers the lawyers that was a, the waters were a wall to them on their right and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued them and went after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So Satan wants to keep you so distracted in whatever your battle is that you would not recognize that God is there with you in that battle. A scripture that's been very important to my wife and I lately is is, is um, what is it <laughs> he's a very oh he's I'm a very present help very present help very present help in time of trouble he's not way off somewhere and we've got to convince him to come and down and get he's very present help in time of trouble may feel like he's asleep but he's very present to you very present help in time in time of trouble, let us flee now. So, what's happening now is the army realizes that God is f- here fighting for Israel, and now they're panicked themselves, and so they begin to flee. Verse 27. Oh, verse 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, and the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, and on their chariots, and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned in its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh. And it came into the the sea after them, not as much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them. On their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians were dead on the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so that the people feared the Lord and feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So they go from one day where it looks like all hope of ever being free is lost. Because there's an obstacle in the way, and their enemy that they thought God had freed them from, is now bearing down to destroy them. So within a day, or however long this took, they're now safely through dry land, on the other side, and they see the mightiest army and the, they see their enemy destroyed in front of their eyes. Wow, what a victory. What a victory. What a victory. So what can we learn from this? I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what your strongholds are. But as I shared earlier, there are some strongholds that have been in my life that I have allowed to control me for so many years that it seemed like they were just part of my life. I almost didn't notice them. It's as if he drew boundaries. Satan had drawn boundaries. He said, well, John, you can't go there. And I wasn't even consciously aware of them until the Holy Spirit began to shed his light on it and I began to recognize that the, 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 the first commandment began to come to me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the world, out of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. And I was allowing these strongholds to be a God because a God is what can tell you what controls your life, what tells you what you can do and what you can't do. So there were areas of my life that I had allowed Satan to carve out. I had cooperated with him and allowed him to carve out, telling me you can't go there. Even if God tells you to go there, you can't go there because of the certain things that are going to happen to you. Triggering things down deep inside of me that were there from my childhood, that were formed in my childhood, and some things that I had opened myself up to. Just little things you can do, subtle things you can do. As a child, I realized looking back, I, had, I began to notice... And that, that it seemed to me as if, 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 I were, if I decided to be afraid of something, it didn't happen. And it wasn't until a little while ago I began to realize I was building in a thought pattern that if I fear something, it's not going to happen. And I allowed that stronghold to get built into me over the years until I wasn't even conscious of it. So now here's God beginning to work in me to overcome those fears. And I was, I was really hoping... That, that that some pastor would come through or some some speaker would come through and would just prophesy over me thus says the Lord God those those strongholds are gone says the Lord God or would anoint me with oil or lay hands on me and it would just disappear but God doesn't usually work that way one of the verses that's always meant so much to me is in Psalm 103 and I'm 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 writing a book about a subject that's based on the scripture and it's, 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 it's uh, 103, verse 11, I think it is. It says, Moses, God made his ways known to Moses and his acts, deeds, to Israel. The nation of Israel knew the things God would do, but Moses knew his ways. Very different to know someone's ways. It's how they do things, it's their way, it's the way they approach things. Moses knew God's ways, and here God was training Moses in part of his ways because he was telling to Moses, there's a time here when I've told you to do something. You don't need to cry out to me. You need to walk towards that obstacle, and I will make a way for you through that obstacle. So as I began to confront some of these strongholds in my life, I discovered that what God was calling me to do was to face them to face the thing I was afraid to do, to face the relationship I might be afraid of, and to walk into that situation. And I had one several weeks ago. I'm not going to go into what it was, but it was, it was something. I, I, well, somebody invited me to do this. I can't do that because it triggered one of these old strongholds. But I'm learning I've got to face it and I've got to walk into it. And Joyce Myers has this expression, then do it afraid. And that's what I did. I went into this situation in fear, but part of the, what I'm learning in this is when you when you make that decision to step and to face the fear, it doesn't always just evaporate because there's a battle going on here. Satan's not going to let go, just like Pharaoh didn't let go that easily. And in those times, it's important to keep pressing in. And in the midst of these some of these battles I've gone through, I'll hit points I'll hit points where it looks like it's not working. And I want to say what they said here. Why did you tell me to do this? Why did you let me get into this situation? I was better off without facing this fear. At least I wasn't afraid. I wasn't tormented. But now by facing this fear, it's now all stirred up. I've stirred the enemy up, but I know enough to know that you've got to fight through the battle. But what I've discovered is exactly what they discovered. If I will face the battle, if I will go into the battle, if I go into this battle, God has to sometimes break it in me. Because it's not out there. The stronghold is in me. And it's in facing it, knowing that in this situation, and I faced that stronghold, and it broke. The very thing I was afraid of, I had victory over. And it broke. So after the victory, the next thing is the enemy says, yeah, but it worked that time, but it's not going to work again. So he does, it's a battle to overcome. And there's so much at stake in this. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Wherever, if you're in one of these battles, if you just don't even know you've got strongholds, but begin to realize there are things in my life I'm afraid of. It may, it wasn't this isn't it with me but it may be flying? It may be a fear of I don't know, uh, whatever. And, and fears aren't fears; don't have to be rational. In fact, many times they're irrational because it's not a matter of a, a mental process. It's a spirit. It's a spirit that gets a hold of you. So that Satan can control you, but the deliverance is through facing it. But it's not just facing it; facing it in your own determination. See, they when Moses cried out to God, God says, "Go forward," because God had already told them He'd given them the land. He'd already told them to go. Now this becomes important because when they get into the promised land, they find out it's full of enemies. It's full of giants. And so, so when they get there, but this generation doesn't make it. Um, anyway, so they get in the wilderness. Oh, the wilderness is the place where they went through the process to prepare them to have victory in the promised land. So you may be in some wilderness in your life right now. You may be in some place where you, just, you don't know where God is. You're just struggling in some area. But God is leading you through this process, this journey. Sometimes I'll share with people that I've been working with and trying to help. Um, it was interesting because you've got a nation of between two and four or five million people. And while they were crossing on crossing through that Red Sea, there was a point where part of them were still in Egypt. Part of them were in the dry land going through the Red Sea, and part of them had made it over there. So in the process of your growth and maturity, there's going to be a time when part of you made it through, part of you still in the process and part of you hasn't really begun it yet because it takes all of you getting through that before you're free. So as I was dealing with some of these things and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide me through some of these things, this story came back to me Um, and actually it was was from a song. I mean, I know the story, I've preached this before. It was a song that we sing that I am a child of God and you, you, you split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears were drowned in perfect love. you familiar with that song? He's referring to the story because their fears, their enemy, they saw drowned by the grace and love of God. And this was necessary in order for them to be free, in order for them to be free. It would be wonderful if God just picked you up here and moved you over here, but it doesn't usually work that way. And I'm learning something because I'm getting to know more of the ways of God, the love of God. I'm experiencing the love of God at a level I've never known before because he's walking through these battles with me. And I'm seeing situations where only God could deliver me, but he couldn't do that if I didn't let myself get into that place where all I had to depend on was him. See, our, our nature, our human nature, our fallen nature, wants to be in control. I, I shared with you earlier that, that where God's working in me is, to, is calling me to just let go of the control of my life to Him. But that includes these fears. That includes these obstacles. Because when we run up against an obstacle, when run up against a threat, anything that threatens us, whether it's a person, a relationship, whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's health, All of those things, and when they threaten us, our our human fallen nature is to pull in and take control ourselves and begin to figure out what do I have to do to take care of myself and get through this. That's why one of the most important scriptures to me is Proverbs 3, 4, and 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You can't do that if you're trying to figure out what to do. Lean not to your own understanding. It's a great scripture. We can quote it in church. We can sing songs about it. But the next time you're dealing with something, bring that scripture back to mind. What are you doing? Are you trusting him with all of your heart in that? If so, you're at rest. You're like Jesus in the back of the boat. See, Jesus trusted the Father with all his heart. So he could go to sleep in the storm because his newest father would get them to the other side. What do we do when we get in in distress? We get in a situation, our mind kicks in and figuring out what can I do? And maybe you have developed a pattern of, oh, I'm going to call somebody. I got to call somebody. What do I do? I got to get advice for this. And we should seek advice. But here you had the children of Israel crying out in a panic, accusing Moses of something. That he didn't do. And then Moses is crying out to God, and God's saying to both of them, Why are you talking to me? I've already told you to go through that river, to that sea, which means God would have to take care of it. So trust in the Lord, whatever situation you're dealing with, with all, all of your heart. And then lean not on your own understanding. It doesn't mean we can't understand things, but what are you leaning on? What are you relying on? What is, your, what is your trust in? In all your ways, acknowledge Him. That word means be familiar with. Know Him in the middle of the situation. Be aware of Him in the middle of what it is. Where are you in this? I know you're here somewhere. The Psalms are full of this. They would get threatened. They would get threatened, and yet in the middle of the threat, there was a confidence they had that God would deliver them. And they would pour their fear out. They would pour their frustration out to God, but it would always end with, but I know you're my God, I'm gonna, but I'll trust in the Lord. Because they knew they had a covenant relationship with God. In all your ways, know Him. Acknowledge doesn't mean say, yeah, God, I know you're... It means know Him. Know He's there in this with you. What are you teaching me, Lord? What are you showing me through this? And it says, he will direct your path. So as you face these things, it doesn't mean you just go running right into them. It means you're trusting him with your heart. I'm not going to lean on my understanding here. And, and I'm going to know what you're doing in this situation. And then you will direct my path. And sometimes he directs your path right into the middle of the storm. Sometimes he directs your path to go right towards that obstacle and you don't see it moving. But you've got to give confidence that he who told you to go there is going to move the sea, is going to part, part the way for you. And this was important for them because God was training them, training them to trust him. The story of God's relationship with Israel through this whole period of time is the time of God training and preparing them Deuteronomy begins by reciting this. The, the book of Deuteronomy is, is, a, is, a, is Moses at the end of the journey recounting back the journey and what, what God was doing in this with them. And it begins with a story where, where God's telling them the, the reason. Because as they get into the wilderness, they get out there, and they're, the first thing... They, <laughs> it's so funny. This is a nation that just saw God supernaturally deliver them out of Egypt. Now they've seen God part of sea, They've walked through on dry land, walk through, seeing the wall, the river, the sea walled up on either side. they get to the outside. Moses puts his rod back out there. Their enemy, the most powerful nation in the world, comes in after them, and God swallows them up. They've seen their enemy destroyed in front of them. They've seen their fear destroyed in front of them. They go three days into the wilderness, and their canteens get dry and their 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 coolers with their sandwiches run out, and now they panic again, and they accuse, they become afraid, and they accuse Moses of bringing him out somewhere where they didn't want to go and Every time they would get angry when they got afraid, and they would get angry at Moses, and they would get angry at God, so what does God do? God says he brings water out of a rock, and then God says tells them. God feeds them. Every morning they get up and there's a dew that drops around, around their camp. And they he says, go collect the dew and, and they, they call it manna. And the word manna means, what is this stuff? And they make this into, into bread. Now, he, they don't pay for it. They're not calling, you know, Instacart or Amazon or Walmart to have it. God's providing this for them every day every day for one whole year and then he tells them because he's given them the commandments and you have the Sabbath so on the, the Sabbath day is a day of rest they're not supposed to go collect the, the, the manna so what God's told them is if you collect two days worth if you collect a day and you know, it may, it may not, he may not do this tomorrow so I better collect enough for tomorrow that second day will rot but on the sixth day, you are to collect two days so that you don't have to go out on the seventh. And because I've said to collect it, it won't rot. So in Deuteronomy, God's looking back with them and he's saying, when I did this with you, I was training you. It is a very familiar verse. I was training you that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that precedes from the mouth of God. God was training them to have such confidence in his word that they wouldn't have to store up food for themselves. They would believe that God would provide it tomorrow and God would provide it the next day and God would provide it the day after that. He was training them to take him at his word and to trust him. Why? He said, because when I get you into this land that's flowing with milk and honey and I begin to prosper you, and I begin to bless you as he wants to do in this land that we're living in. He said, I do not want that blessing to begin to turn your heart away from me. God's always training us, preparing us for where he wants to take us. And I just sense in my heart, in my own life, at this stage of life, normally I would be, would be thinking, well, it's time to kick back and you know, and just let just coast on what I've learned before. But I'm growing and learning more than I ever have before. And I don't know what it's for. It doesn't matter. I just want to f- cooperate with God in this process and allow, because he's doing a good job. I don't want to mess it up. I want to learn to follow him and trust him, lean not to my own understanding, know him in the process, and then he is and he will direct, direct our path. Because there are great things God wants to do to demonstrate to his glory in this dark and troubled world. And he's called the church to do that. But when we're controlled by strongholds, when we're controlled by things that we've allowed Satan to build in our lives, then, that's, then God is not able to get the glory in that area. So I don't know, those of you that are watching online, I don't know, those of you that are here tonight, what may be going on in your life. It may be nothing at this point. Maybe this is for something in the future. But God is, wherever you are, God is at work in your life. It says in Philippians, both to will and to do has good pleasure. That's a comforting verse. But the verse before that tells us to, to be reverent to God because it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to do is good pleasure. We're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean a fear So there's something we're to do. And those are two different words. When it says we're to work out our salvation and to God is at work in you, those are two different Greek words. The one we're to do is to take what he's doing and, and act on it to bring it into our life. The one that he says he's doing is a work that implies only something he can do on the inside. So I just want to encourage you tonight. Challenge you tonight. Trust that somehow this has meant something to you or will mean something to you. And when we come back next week, we're going to talk about that rod that God used with Moses because he's given us a rod also. Let's pray. Father, only you know where each of us is tonight and those who are watching or may watch sometime in the future. We limit you so often because we think of you in our terms. And we forget how awesome and powerful, how capable and how knowing you are. Only you know what lies ahead for us. Only you know the battles that each of us may be dealing with today or may have to deal with tomorrow or next week. Only you know, but we know But you have revealed to us that whatever it is that you're in this with us, that you have a purpose for this, your word says you will not allow us, You will now allow something to come against us that you've not already determined that we can handle and that you will provide a way of escape that we may endure it. So whatever it is, you're in this with us. Whatever it is, you want to lead us through it and you want us to experience that victory. But we need to learn to trust you with all our heart. We need to learn to let go of trying to rely on our own understanding. And we need to learn to get to know you in the midst of this. Thank you for this exciting journey. Thank you for this amazing love that you lavish upon us every day. And I just declare over everyone here within the sound of my voice that they will see this through to the end and they will experience the victory of seeing the enemy, of seeing that stronghold fall down before them and drown into the sea. And for these things we give you thanks in Jesus' name.